Get ready, it's time. Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck, is the most powerful voice in women's issues today. As the owner of Motherhood Incorporated, Sandra brings you inspiring, influential, and interesting resources to help you navigate everything from childcare to corporate formation. Each episode of Motherhood Talk Radio features guests who all have a story, experts in their field, and information you won't want to miss. We bring you everything from the latest crafting tips to how to be sexy in your 40s. From great parenting tips to moms facing some tough challenges, and most importantly, how to bounce back with style. Motherhood Talk Radio helps you make a difference in your world and the world around us. Being all you can be starts right here, right now. Let's do it. Here's your host, Sandra Beck. everybody this is sandra beck and i'm here with dr donald moses and you guys are going to want to stick around today because this is a really important show and we've got other shows if you go through spotify or itunes and you look up dr donald moses m-o-s-e-s and sandra beck you will find some of our earlier recordings all of these are really important and today we're going to talk about the relationship between drug abuse and learning disabilities and i think this is fascinating dr moses because there's lots of things out there about opium addiction about drug abuse but to tie drug abuse with learning disabilities i think is very interesting and i'd like you to define for our readers first the difference between drug abuse and addiction i always thought they were the same thing can you clarify that for me well addiction is drug abuse carried to the extreme uh with drug abuse if a person decides to get off the drug, they can just stop it and there's not going to be too much of a physiological effect. If in drug addiction, if you're addicted to a drug, and ironically enough, both nicotine and alcohol are addictive drugs, along with your opiates and uh, your, your crack cocaine and uh, your barbiturates and a lot of your tranquilizers, if you stop that, uh, those drugs and you have a physiological reaction, everything from opiates going cold turkey, uh, which is uh, just what it sounds like, freezing goose pimples all over the body for hours, really very uncomfortable, to getting off barbiturates, which can lead to convulsions or even death. Mm. So you have a physiological reaction uh, to the addiction, which you do not have to the drug, to the drug abuse. Gotcha. So drug abuse, you can stop. It, well, you, you you can stop both, but you can stop. But but if you have a physical reaction, that's what we're using the term addiction with. And it's not always easy to stop drug abuse either. Sure. Uh, it's become very habituating. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, just for for understanding now, let's define learning disabilities before our conversation. All right. There are three types of learning disabilities, physiological, psychological and voluntary. 
Dr. Moses, I'm just going to stop you for a second as we talk about the correlation between learning disabilities and drug abuse, because I want to talk about Good Chop. And Good Chop is our sponsor today. And first of all, we want to thank them for supporting shows like this that can help parents in raising their children and also feeding them, because Good Chop is America's online butcher. And with Good Chop, you get flexible monthly subscription plans for high quality American meat and seafood. You can choose the medium or the large plan, and you can get your favorite cuts of beef, chicken, pork, and seafood. They're delivered flash frozen for freshness and sealed with dry ice inside an insulated box. Now, what I love about them, boy, you can get easy access to high quality products. I don't have to shop. I don't have to drive. It's contact-free delivery right to your doorstop. This is just great for busy parents. And you can order fully customizable boxes of beef, chicken, seafood, and pork products, whatever you like the most. You can, you can get well-marbled Angus choice and prime cuts of beef. You can get delicious 100% grass-fed steaks, whatever you prefer. They have sustainable and wild-caught seafood. And whether you want salmon, Pacific cod, or something else, check it out. And there's something for everyone, from mouth-riding ribeyes to flavorful T-bones, wild-caught salmon, tender chicken breasts, and so much more. Now, you guys know I was raised in a farming community, and what I love about Good Chop is Good Chop is sourced from the USA. And unlike many other companies, Good Chop sources its meat and seafood exclusively from American farms and fisheries, and we set the bar high for animal welfare and sustainable practices. Cattle are born, raised, and harvested in the USA, and by choosing Good Chop, you support local family farms, woohoo, and independent ranchers right here in the U.S. Now, you also have a 100% money-back guarantee, and because they source only the good stuff, they feel confident about their 100% money-back guarantee. So love Good Chop or get your money back. Now, we had a porterhouse that was so delicious. It was mouthwatering. It was flavorable. It was crunchy where it was supposed to be crunchy, chewy where it was supposed to be chewy, lean where it was supposed to be lean, and the flavor, oh my God, it was amazing. And I loved it. My kids loved it. My dad loved it. And it made me like the mom rock star. Who doesn't love that? So go to goodchop.com slash motherhoodtalk100 and use code motherhoodtalk100 to get $100 off your first three boxes. That is goodchop.com slash motherhoodtalk100 and use the code motherhoodtalk100 to get $100 off your first three boxes. You will be so glad you did, man. Good Chop, America's online butcher. Nothing but love for you. Nothing but love for Good Chop for supporting our farm families. I come from a farm family and anybody who supports farm families, sustainable seafood and animal welfare gets my huge, huge endorsement. Go to goodchop.com slash Motherhood Talk 100 and use code Motherhood Talk 100 to get $100 off your first three boxes. Good chop, America's online butcher. Now we're talking today to Dr. Donald Moses about the correlation between learning disabilities and drug abuse. And before we do, we want to talk about the different types of learning disabilities. All right, there are three types of learning disabilities physiological, psychological, and voluntary. The physiological includes attention deficit disorder, attention deficit disorder with hyperactivity, dyslexia, dysgraphia, or slow processing. Let me describe each one. With ADD or attention deficit disorder, we will abbreviate it, uh, the child cannot keep the mind on uh, a lecture or on reading 
for any great length of time. Uh, they could read an article, for instance, if it's several paragraphs long, but to expect a child with ADD to sit down and be able to read a, uh, a book three or four pages long, it's highly unlikely that they'll be able to do it. ADHD, hyperactivity, is when the child or even an adult cannot sit still, uh, which some of us call a social disease, not like the other social diseases, but a social disease, because if you had that hyperactivity in a primitive tribe, that, that person would become the chief of the tribe. You could run further, faster, hug longer, carry on much uh, uh, more intensely and for many more hours, somebody without it. Uh, but in our society, where the child has to sit in a classroom for 45 minutes, uh, it's almost impossible to sit still for that time. And it is not that the child is in any way intending to misbehave. They simply cannot sit still. Fortunately, these days, things are being done about that, like these children can allowed to walk around the classroom, periodically even go out in the hall, walk up and down. And a few schools have even put stationary bike type uh, apparatus underneath the desk where the child can pedal like mad. Nice. And you sit there. This, we are making major progress in dealing with learning disabilities. Dr. Moses, I'm going to just jump in for a second here because now is a great time to thank our sponsor. Our sponsor today is Best Fiends. And if you guys haven't played Best Fiends, you are so missing out. They have supported Motherhood Talk Radio for over two years. So we are so grateful to them for bringing shows like this. You know, we're talking today to Dr. Donald Moses about the connection between drug abuse and learning disabilities. So we as parents can know better and do better. And I'm going to tell you, if you haven't tried Best Fiends, you are missing out. Best Fiends is a mobile puzzle game that anyone can download and play. And whether you have a few minutes or a few hours, Best Fiends is the perfect puzzle game to lose yourself in because you're having so much fun. Now, I'm way over level 300, which gives you an idea how long I've been playing it, which is over two years. And what I find is that when I am frustrated, you know, lines are still long, traffic is terrible, and I'm spending a lot of time now as my kids' events open up waiting for them. I'm waiting in the parking lot. I'm waiting for them to clean the gym before the kids can go in for volleyball. And there's so much waiting these days, and that's where I whip out Best Fiends. It is the best frustration for your boredom buster. You name it. The game features tons of cute characters that help you th solve thousands of fun puzzles. The more you play, the more characters you collect, and the more you win, the more challenges you face. And new characters and challenging puzzles are added all the time, and there are new levels added every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. That's so exciting. Right now, I am playing Temper's Adventure. And Temper is so cute, you guys. He's got like a little cowboy hat and a starfish star, and he's riding one of those little hobby horse on a stick. And... I'm trying to find 10 amulet pieces and Sheriff Moose will join my team. So it's really fun. It takes you away to this little world of adventure. The music's great. The graphics sometimes are hilarious. They make me laugh out loud. They're so cute. So much care goes into this game. So I want you guys to download Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. Download Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's Friends Without the R, Friends Without the R, Best Fiends. You will be so glad you did. It's like this 
this little friend in your pocket that you can count on every time to have a good time and they don't talk back to you. So again, download Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Now we're talking today to Dr. Donald Moses and we're talking about the connection between drug abuse and learning disabilities. And we were just about to talk about dyslexia. So doc, I'm gonna put the mic over to you. Dyslexia, which is very common, is the reversal of letters, the inability to read uh, the way we read. Uh, the letters, uh, you'll read a D as a B, a P as a Q, and sometimes we're not even able to uh, interpret what you're reading at all. Now, these people are not stupid. They just can't read. There's a disconnect somewhere in the brain. This graphia, which often goes along with dyslexia, but is seen individually, is the ability to write a sentence. They get it all jumbled up in their head and they can't write it. Slow processing, which is much harder to diagnose, is a situation where if a child reads, if, if you or I were to read without slow processing, uh, it takes one eighth of the time to process that word than it does somebody with slow processing. So essentially it could take a child anywhere from three to eight times longer to read a page. Mm -hmm. And uh, ironically, it goes in more slowly, it also comes out more slowly. Mm -hmm. So they tend to retain the information longer. Uh, those are the uh, physiological aspects. We have psychological aspects, which are ne absolutely necessary to differentiate from the physiological. The treatment is so different. Uh, the two major ones are anxiety, severe anxiety, and severe depression. Child cannot learn uh, when he's scared out of or she's scared out of her wits and uh, trying to concentrate on either a lecture or on reading. And the same thing when a child is very depressed. This is also true with adults. If those of you who have ever suffered anxiety, uh, those in the audience, and we have very frequently, uh, especially if you listen to the news these days, uh, you'll find that if you sit down to read, it's not gonna be so easy because your mind is gonna drift back to whatever it is that's causing the apprehensions. Uh, the other types of uh, psychological is obsessive compulsive disorder, which is a, really not a, an entity unto itself, but a result of severe anxiety, but it manifests itself and that the child has to go over and over and over something uh, as an obsession, or as we see in that uh, great movie, As Good As It Gets, mm -hmm. compulsions, where you have to repeat and act over and over and over again uh, with no, no sensible uh, explanation for it at all. There is an emotional explanation, but not a logical one. Then you have uh, voluntary, uh, they have uh, oppositional, def oppositional defiant disorder, which is sort of a crossover between psychological and voluntary, where the child is just refusing to learn. I, I, I'm not gonna pay any attention to the teacher who's an authority figure. Uh, or just plain orthodox thinking, uh, where you have a preconceived notion. I don't care whether it's a preconceived Freudian notion or a preconceived religious notion, and refuse to learn something different 
simply because, as they say, don't let your facts interfere with my perfectly good theory. <laughs> and then you have uh, the third kind, uh, which is just plain old stubbornness. Mm -hmm. uh, most of us who have raised children have reached a point where you're trying to teach them something, yep. and they're just going to put their hands over their ears and say, I'm not listening. I'm right. not listening. Uh, and they're not going to learn. Ironically, without the physical gestures, an awful lot of adults suffer from the same disorder. Uh, those are basically the different types of uh, learning disabilities, but we're only going to address ourselves to the physiological and the first two psychological, anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. uh, anxiety and depression, we could really help right away with uh, certain medications, carefully medication, but certainly psychotherapy. And very often when that child realizes that somebody is uh, they're interested in understanding, they're not going to look to something else. But let us stick mostly to the physiological. And what is the relationship between physiological drug abuse, uh, uh, learning disabilities and drug abuse? Well, when you think of school, the first thing that you think of is the child is away from home for the first time for any length of time. Mm -hmm. And therefore the child is faced with the first external challenge from the family. Mm -hmm. I don't know any of us remember our first grade, but we remember in school, the number of times we were challenged with something and we felt, uh-oh, I'm not gonna pass this test. Uh-oh, I don't know a damn thing before I go in. Well, I think that when a child in the first grade, even in kindergarten these days, finds that they cannot keep up with the rest of the students, these children will inevitably begin to feel as if they're failures. Mm -hmm. and feeling like a failure in the first grade. Uh, do, you, do you all remember when you would get out of class and people would say to you, what did you get on the math test? What did you get on the English test? Then you get home and your parents would ask the same thing. And if you had an F, you usually said to the classmates, well, I didn't do so well. And to the parents, oh, we didn't have a test, but we hid it at the bottom of our book bag. Mm -hmm because we're afraid of the disapproval, but internally, even without the external uh, admonitions that people are, are likely to give you, such as you're not studying hard enough, you're not working hard enough, what's the matter, are you lazy? You seem to be smarter than that, aren't you putting your effort in? All sorts of critical reactions to that child. Instead of comprehending that the child is trying his best, but he's reading words backwards and he's not comprehending what he's reading or writing or unable to hear what's going on or not able to complete a, uh, a little book in the time allotted by the school. I, I keep thinking my own experience, three times in my school history, I'm sorry, twice in my school history, and once on my own, I read the novel Moby Dick. Okay. In, uh, High school, we had three weeks to read it. In college, one week. And when I read it on my own, it took me a month and a half. Wow. Because I wasn't under pressure. I wanted to grasp what, he, what Melville was talking about. 
Now you put a child who cannot read for one reason or the other in that position and immediately, uh-oh, I'm a failure. Mm -hmm. And we also have to remember that we all, every school from my day until today, lie to our children. Probably the worst lie our children ever get, which is if you're not good in all five subjects, you're gonna be a failure. I don't know whether you all remember that who will listen in the audience, but me, I'm proud to say, I could never do languages. I got F twice in college. Wow. So as a psychiatrist, I have refrained from treating people who only spoke French. <laughs> but that was my limitation. Well, that in German, Spanish, and Sanskrit, I have difficulty with the languages. But we teach the children from a young age. If you're not good in English, math, science, social studies, and uh, what's the fifth one? Uh, you're going to not get into a good college. If you're not going to get into a good college, you're not going to get a good job. And all you're going to fit, be fit for is pumping gas. Right. Of course, in today's gas prices, you can make a lot of money if you're on the station. <laughs> uh, being what it may, these children immediately are earmarked in their own mind, not necessarily in the world, but in their own mind, I am going to be a failure. Now, Everyone knows that eventually, except of the very sick, I shouldn't say everyone, everyone but the very sick is aware that sometime in life, you're going to have to function independently. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to uh, be able to support yourself, hopefully a family, yep. uh, a spouse and children, and be able to do that with confidence that I will succeed. But if you're raised from the time you're in the first grade that you're bound to be a failure, you're going to be absolutely anxiety-ridden, depressed, scared, everything you could think about that is negative and walking out into the outside world uh, independently. Mm -hmm. How many people who've graduated from high school or college who are listening to me remember the first time that they went out to look for a job and the first job they held and the apprehension, will I be good enough? Will I be able to do the work? Will I be able to learn it? And the anxiety that we feel when we do not anticipate our own failure is there automatically. Anxiety is a normal reaction to facing an unknown situation that of, of which you are not familiar. Uh, if you open your outside door and you're suddenly confronted with a bear, which has happened not uh, infrequently in California these days <laughs> with Hank the Tank, Hank the uh, tank. <laughs> uh, you're going to have an anxiety reaction. You call it fear, but it's basically an anxiety reaction. If you find out that it's a tame bear who just came in for maybe a pot of honey or something, mm -hmm. your anxiety level will go down. The same thing in a job. You go into a job, you're wondering whether or not you can handle it. After a week or so, when you find that there's nothing that is beyond your abilities, the anxiety calms down. Gotcha. But if you were to walk into a job and that job is gonna require reading or writing, 
and this is something you've never been able to do, your anxiety level is going to be much higher. And that anxiety level is not going to start when you walk out to get a job. It's going to start in every grade you enter. How did you do on the test? Have you ever done poorly on a test? Oh, of course. Okay. Do you remember what it felt like when your friends asked you, how'd you do on the test? Yep. Just awful. It, it's an awful feeling, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Now, because supposing every test you took, you had that same awful feeling. How are you going to end up feeling about yourself? Right. Horrible. You like you're an idiot. And we'll never be able to succeed. Right. Ironically enough, I have had a man in therapy who suffered from multiple learning disabilities and was told by his guidance counselor, you're never going to be anything but able to scrape gum off the sidewalk. Uh, after turning to alcohol, which is one of the drugs, he gave that up. And I was the owner of a multinational multi-million dollar business with over 30 patents to his name, yeah. which proves intelligence is not a matter of what you do in school. Mm -hmm. Some people are academic, some people are not. I happen to know personally four or five graduates from Yale. Not a bad school, it's got a fairly good reputation. Yeah. All five are total failures. Not one was able to succeed in the real world. They were pure academics. Mm -hmm. And many of the people who I have worked with over the years, because I've treated a lot of people who've had learning disabilities over the years, have turned out to be highly successful in their chosen careers. One who dropped out of medical school because he had severe ADHD, managed to squeeze through college, very bright guy, ended up running a major construction company where he worked 14 hours a day without any problem because his ADHD was so severe. Very intelligent, was able to draw up the plans for the construction and everything. So this is not, it has to be remembered that a learning disability is an academic uh, handicap. Oh, I'm sorry. Handicap is not an acceptable word these days. Oh. You have to excuse me. I'm 84 years old. I learned the language when I was young, and we didn't have these fine refinements. Gotcha. Uh, but I, I, it is not an intellectual, it's an academic handicap. And I think that this is a very important thing to remember because these people can learn from video, uh, from those with Dyslexia but can learn through books on tape, sure. through audio. Many, uh, it's a matter of finding the right medium. And therefore I have said, most of these kids don't have a learning disability. We have a teaching disability. Right. We haven't found the correct teaching method to reach these kids. Mm -hmm. So now, uh, Sandra, anything more you want to ask me about learning disabilities? 
No, I just I just want to chime in uh, quickly about my youngest brother, who, like your stories you were saying, said that he would never amount to anything more than maybe a janitor or maybe, a, you know, a cleaner. And he's currently working for NASA as a quality control engineer. And when they unlocked the secret of his amazing brain, he could take my dad's tractor apart, put it back together at 10 years old, but he couldn't read the way the school was teaching him. And he bounced around for a while working for these companies. And then he ended up going back to school in his thirties, achieving higher education. And now he's working all over the world for NASA on their space program. So it just goes to show that when he found the right input, you know, like a computer, you have a mouse, you have a keyboard, you might have a scanner, all different ways to input information into a computer. Our bodies are the same way. And we have to figure out the best way to input that information into the brain. And it certainly doesn't mean that you're stupid. And it's so important for parents of the children uh, with these learning disabilities to really grasp yeah. Uh, now, why? how is this connected to drugs? Mm -hmm. Well, the first thing we have to do is get away from the idea that drugs are bad. Drugs are dangerous. It's not a matter of bad or good. Uh, I differentiate a drug from a medication. Medication helps you function better. A drug helps you not function at all and accept it. Most of the drugs that people use are for some psychological reason. Uh, anxiety, depression are the two number one causes for the use of legal or illegal drugs for medication. But a lot of people out there in my listening audience right now who are taking prescribed drugs for anxiety, mm -hmm. Xanax, Ativan, Valium, there's a whole list or for depression, Paxil, or, oh, there's so many, I can't even start listing them all. Prozac, a, a whole uh, gamut of antidepressants. The thing is that if they're prescribed and used properly, these medications will help you function better. But where do you use these medications injudiciously that would markedly interfere uh, with your ability to function? Sure. And, that, and that's what's happening with the drug abuse and the drug addiction. The two most common medications turning into uh, drugs that these uh, learning disability people with learning disabilities use, are the opiates or cocaine. Okay. There's a huge opiate epidemic out there right now. Not all of it is coming from learning disabilities. Much of it is coming from insecurities caused by many, many other factors. So some of which I will not get into because they're considered politically incorrect. Okay. But after we get off the SR, I'll let you know what they are. Okay. Uh, but the, uh, the opiates are the world's best tranquilizer. Mm -hmm. 
nothing touches uh, oxycodone, oxycontin, heroin, morphine for avoiding everything. When I was starting off in this business treating drug abuse was 1962, which is probably before most of you were born. Uh, when I was working with heroin addicts in Metropolitan Hospital in Harlem, New York, mm -hmm. they used to refer to the drug as their milk. Oh. The 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 uh, supplier as their mother and the place they shot up as the crib. Wow. Heroin, I don't know how many uh, were listening are parents, but if you are and you've had children, you know that your children will cry hysterically when they're hungry. And the minute they're fed, the minute the nipple goes into their mouth, they calm down. Right. There you have heroin. A heroin addict is not dangerous if he's supplied with heroin. The danger of the heroin addict is when the heroin is unavailable and they wow. have to go out and get it. Okay. But when they're on heroin and what they do, the expression is to go on the nod. I don't know whether you've heard, people have heard that expression. I've heard the expression, but I don't know what it means. Yes, you do. You've had children, haven't you? What are they like when you feed them when they were infants? Oh yeah, they go into a coma. <laughs> they go on the nod. Yep, okay. That's exactly it, they go on the nod. So heroin is a very infantilizing drug. But as with the milk of a mother, it creates a sense of peace, tranquility, safety, because they don't care. It's not a matter that the danger goes away, but they, and it's not a matter that they can't cope with it. It's a matter that they don't care that they can't cope with it. Because gotcha. they really are, as we say, zonked out. So very often opiates are the drug of choice uh, for this particular problem, for the learning disabilities. Cocaine, on the other hand, is a stimulant. Uh, I have called cocaine, I wrote, actually wrote a paper on this, calling cocaine the omnipotence drug. Okay. When, you, when a person often uses cocaine, they feel they can do anything. Makes them feel literally omnipotent. And as many people are aware, uh, there was a huge, co well, ironically enough, I'm reading a book written in 1929 talking about the huge cocaine problem in England, mm -hmm. but another book written in 1936, talking about the huge cocaine problem in England. Crazy. Well, the British are very good for having cocaine problems in the old days. I think they've conquered it now. But uh, it's been around for a long time. It's been used for the same thing. But the uh, commonality of use of cocaine among, let's say, uh, the in the financial markets, especially in the bond traders. Okay. Uh, what is a bond trader? A, trade, a bond trader working for a firm like Goldman Sachs mm -hmm. will try to buy and sell a bond on pennies difference, but they work in such millions of dollars, such huge volume that a penny can make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Now, 
How many people out there would like to predict whether the bond market is going to go up and down or down in the next three minutes? Right. No one. But when you're on cocaine, you get the feeling, oh, I can do it. I can do it. Gotcha. So it's a confidence boost. The confidence boost. Absolutely. Uh, Competence and confidence, both. And I think that when a child feels that he's bound to be a failure, he could use that boost. Mm. The cocaine gives him that boost. Of course, it really doesn't do anything because it still doesn't function. Just gets high. Mm. So these are the two drugs of choice. And they are basically used as tranquilizers uh, in one way or another to alleviate the severe anxiety brought about by the, uh, the overwhelming sense of ultimate failure in these children's lives. Oh, Starts yeah. very young, can start in kindergarten or the first grade if it's not addressed immediately. Now, Sandra, I'm sure you have some questions you'd like to ask. Yeah, um, you know, yeah. how does somebody go from having a, a learning disability and then figuring out that this is the this this would help them like is it do this their peers tell them hey you know this will help you concentrate this will help you feel better like how does it go from a kid with a learning disability to a kid that thinks that using drugs would provide an answer mostly it takes place or it should take place in the school School is the place where a, uh, a uh, aware teacher or an aware guidance counselor should recognize that this child is not stupid. It's just having this kind of disability. Gotcha. And to start in the school to help to provide the child with uh, accessory education so that the, that they can learn, they can maximize their intellectual potential. Gotcha. And this has to be carried over. Parents have got to be called in. Parents have got to be warned. Your child is not stupid. Your child is not lazy. Your child is not avoiding. Your child cannot do it regardless of intelligence. Gotcha. And once the parents can grasp that, and unfortunately, many parents don't. Mm-hmm. They find it that it's somehow the... Uh, a concept that a child can be intelligent and still not be academic mm-hmm. just doesn't sit right. Right. No, doesn't make sense to them. No. Talk about disability. <laughs> There's a lot of that. There's a lot of intellectual disability among parents, unfortunately. Well, and uh, do you find that disabilities, just for a segue quickly here, <laughs> are learning disabilities inheritable? Like if you have a parent who has ADHD, does that go, can that be to the child? Or if a parent has dyslexia or dysgraphia, like does that run into families? Yes, there is a genetic component <laughs> to most of the uh, learning disabilities. Absolutely. So if you had a parent who had a learning disability and a child who had a learning disability, I would imagine the parent would either recognize that in themselves or not want to deal with it at all because it's so painful. And if the parent's dealing with their own issues using alcohol, it's not that big a stretch for a child to pick up something to help alleviate the, the that emotional problem associated with the disability. I could see how that would run in families. 
it, if a parent has a learning disability, mm-hmm. one of two things happens in my experience. One is the parent is immediately uh, able to comprehend what the child is going through yep. and seek help. Seek uh, not only <coughs> help in school, but seek psychological help for the child. Okay. Then there's the other parent who never really grasped in himself or herself that this is a learning disability and not an indication of stupidity, sees himself as stupid, starts with the assumption that my child is therefore stupid. Right. And so uh, without the awareness and part of the parent that he or she has had uh, a learning disability and is not stupid, uh, then the child can be really uh, feel like a total intellectual failure. Right, gotcha. Gotcha. So we can see where some of this this abuse stems from early childhood. Very can be from very early childhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes the parent thinks the child is stupid because they uh, they won't talk. Mm-hmm. The children just uh, are late talkers. Uh, my godson was a late talker. Mm-hmm. And now as an adult, he doesn't shut up. <laughs> well, that's funny because my brother, the one that was had the dyslexia and this dysgraphia, um, he didn't speak until, you know, he was a lot older. And the, the doctor told my mom, he goes, well, maybe he has nothing to say. And then my mom said she laughed and she goes, well, he does have two other sisters who talk all the time. <laughs> you know. But I, I'm so appreciative of you raising awareness to this connection uh, between um, having a challenge academically leading to the possibility of some sort of substance abuse later in life. We do have to make a uh, change, I think, in our educational attitude. I think it's, as I said before, we have to get rid of the big lie mm-hmm. that if you're not good in five subjects, you're bound to be a failure. Yep. I think we also have to uh, change our attitude that grades are indicative of anything more than getting good marks on a test. Right. I think we've all known in our in our educational careers, people who get straight A's end up in top colleges and can't think their way out of a paper bag. Oh, absolutely. I went to Northwestern. There was quite a few people there that you were just like, how can you matriculate at this super high level? And, you know, you just can't get a basic whatever down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Living here in Vermont, I run into an awful lot of people who have had no college education, Mm -hmm. but are smart. They know how they're electricians, they're plumbers. Uh, they're mechanics, they're boat mechanics, and they have far more wisdom than so many of the people who are graduating from college. Absolutely. When you get right down to it, the single most important thing to know is how to survive. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether or not you know astrophysics or uh, or quantum mechanics is far less relevant. Uh, to whether or not you can walk out there and know how to keep yourself alive in uh, 
in adverse situations. Absolutely. And I think that we, we should stress that more with this so that they don't feel that because they're getting, uh, they're not getting straight A's, they can be failures. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I know my grandson is going through this and I keep trying to hit my, uh, my grandson and granddaughter going through this. And I keep going, then they don't live too far away, fortunately. So I can drive down there and hit their parents over the head with a frying pan to try to try to drive some sense into them, stop putting so much emphasis on it. Right. But I think that this is a very important uh, concept that the academic aspect is not necessarily the road to intelligence and living. Right. It's not a guarantee, a guarantor of success. Absolutely not. Not at all. Not at all. And, and I think that when we take the pressure off these youngsters from the time they're very young, uh, we will diminish their need for turning to some kind of tranquilization to, uh, to deal with everyday, uh, everyday uh, anxieties. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Moses, I want to thank you for being my guest today. Now, you've got a couple of books out there. Um, I love your teen book. You want to talk a little bit about some of your books that are available? Well, I think uh, the most important one, which I wrote with Dr. Wendy Morse, a child psychologist, I, I'm not really an expert in ages uh, four to 11. Uh, she is, and I'm, an, uh, I'm more of an expert in ages 13 and on up, mostly 13 to 20. I like, I like the kids when nobody else can stand them. Uh, <laughs> but I think that uh, we wrote a book called Ra Raising Self-Confident and in Independent Kids mm -hmm. that parents of young children should really try to get a hold of it and read because it gives you an idea of how to raise a child that feels comfortable right. walking out into the world. Over the years, I've told so many parents that have come into my office, you are not raising your child to be happy at 15. You're raising your child to be competent at 30, so that at 30, feeling competent, he could be happy for the rest of his life. Uh, you'll have to pardon me for my singular gender useless. It's still coming from my 84 year old language impediment. I'd love that. But I got it loud and clear. You know, our parenting messages are in alignment that our children need to be the best they can be as they define themselves and what they're good at. It never made sense to me why I was pushed so hard in certain areas that I wasn't good at. And the things I was good at were just assumed I would be good at it. Like it, it didn't make sense to me. Still doesn't. Wait a minute, can you run that by me again? So let's say you, the things I'm good at, people yep. just assume, oh, she's good at them, so she doesn't need to work at them. She doesn't need to focus on those. Let's oh. focus on the things you're not good at. And now at 50 years old, I am still not good at the same things I wasn't good at in elementary school. I still can't spell to save my life. I still can't do certain things. But yet I make my living doing the very things I was good at when I was little. It's ironic that uh, you mentioned that I was never good in languages because of the way they were taught. This is a perfect example. So after I was married, 
and we were going to go to France, uh, we hired a verbal tutor okay. who spoke okay. to us. When I got to France, I was able to communicate in French, though I failed it twice in college. I'm glad to say, I'm proud to say, I still be at Bates College now taking French. If Sue Brown was sat next to me, didn't have such a good handwriting. <laughs> oh, you know, Dr. Moses, I always enjoy my time with you, but our time is up. And um, I want to thank you for being my guest today. I also want to thank you for raising awareness for such a difficult topic to handle when you're 18, 25, 35. And if we can stop and get people to pay attention to challenges in the early years, maybe we don't have as many problems in the later years. I don't like, I know we use the word challenges. I do not like it. We all have challenges and life without challenges is boring. True. Any of us who ski know that the minute you're, it's no longer a challenge, you're bored. Yep. And so I think that they use the word challenge now. I think it's, it's poor semantics. Gotcha. I think difficulties is a better word. I stand corrected. Difficulty, not you. I think. It's not you. It's, <laughs> it's the common politically correct uh, parlance, which is some, comes out of 1980, the book 1984 called Newspeak. <laughs> with yep, that's right. All right, you guys, well, we will be back again next week with another great episode. If you liked what you heard today, check us out on iTunes and Spotify, wherever podcasts are available. On behalf of myself and Dr. Donald Moses, have a great week. Thanks for being with us today on Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck. Join us again. We've got something you won't want to miss. Motherhood Talk Radio is a production of Beck Multimedia.